I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic audience, I have a new book out called Modern Prophets, and I wrote this book specifically to give a theology, but also practical application for how to apply the gift, the ministry, and the office of the prophet into your lives. And I'm giving you not only the theology of why it's a big deal to understand the prophetic and how you can engage this incredible gift set in your life, but also I'm giving you a lot of starter models and uh, practical application for how to do this. One of the things I love right now is that God wants to bring dignity back to the prophetic. There's billions of dollars going to the psychic medium industry because prophets have not risen up. People have not risen up with the true prophetic gifts to hear God's voice. God has an original intention over all things he created, and we get to see his intention, and we get to call it forth on the earth right now. So this book's going to help you do that. It's available in bookstores all around the world right now. It's in several languages, Modern Prophets. Get yours at Barnes & Noble's, Amazon.com, or BullsMinistries.com now. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic Family. Today on the show, we have Harmony Dust Grillo, and this name is going to mean something to you in a major way. This is a before and after podcast for you. And you're right here. You're in our in our studio. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you now, for having me. I want to look at your bio just a minute. I, okay. I, normally, I, would, I, I've, I know your bio, but I want to read it the way that you have put it on here just because... It's amazing what's happened in your life. Mm. You went from a victim of exploitation, turned into a UCLA honors student. You have a master's degree in social work, yep. which is awesome because yep. you're going after some, some of these types of issues that have you got targeted by when you were growing up. That's right. And uh, you know, as a survivor, Harmony, uh, it's kind of weird to read this in front of you, but Harmony is passionate about assisting women in their journeys of healing and transformation. In 2003, she founded Treasures, which we're going to talk about in a major way today, a faith-based outreach and support group to women in the sex industry and victims of sex trafficking. So this is wild mm-hmm. because you're doing this from not just a, a social justice mentality, but this is like an assignment from God that he put on your life. Yeah to help people, but take us on this journey some. Yeah. How did this start for you? I mean, I know it says you were a victim and I know your story, but I don't even know how to get into your story. Like, how do you start that story with people? (laughs) Just go right for the jugular. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. So, yeah, my story is that I was raised in a very violent neighborhood Mm. in a really chaotic home. Um, There was a gang war in my neighborhood. Oh, wow. Gunshots every night, helicopters. and my house was also really chaotic. Um, and I say that to, because I had this really deep desire for a sense of safety that I never had. Wow. And that informed some of the decisions that I made later in life. My mother was a very broken person. She's not a bad person, but she's a broken person yeah. who also was a victim of trauma and parented out of her own brokenness. She was addicted to cocaine. Oh. And um, so that her addiction left us really kind of exposed to a lot of things and vulnerable. I was sexually abused throughout my life by multiple people and raped as a teen. And I can say that now as seemingly casually as I just did, not because it wasn't a big deal. It was a huge deal. It marked my life. It kept me silent. It kept me filled with shame and self-loathing. But I can say that now because my heart is healed and it doesn't have a grip on me anymore. That's Um, amazing. Yeah, thank God. But definitely at that time, it was 
I mean, it changed everything. It changed the way I saw myself. I, I really believe it changed the trajectory of my life in a lot of ways. One of my abusers was my mother's boyfriend. At that point, mm. I was 13. And I started standing up for myself. And she knew what was happening. And unfortunately, she taught me what she had learned as a girl and that it was my fault. And Ooh. she would tell me, if you weren't wearing tank tops and shorts around him, this wouldn't be happening. And, you know, so obviously she wasn't in a position where she was choosing to protect me. So I ran away from home to get away from the situation. And eventually she realized that I was serious, that I wasn't coming back until he was gone. So she sent him off. And um, and then I came home and she left to follow him to Canada. So she left me. and I, I, was, I was 13. My wow. brother was eight. And she left us for three months with $20 and a book of food stamps. Yeah. So, you know after the food stamps and money was gone, I started stealing to feed my brother and I. And every time I stole, I was running the risk of getting arrested. And for me, you know, I, my biggest concern was what would happen to my brother. Like he's eight, like, you know, what's he going to do? So I, that summer became very vulnerable to an older boy in the neighborhood who would come around and buy us food. So I didn't have to steal Mm. and he would make me feel protected. He would tell me anybody messes with you, I've got your back. And I mean, to say I grew up in, just to give you an idea of the kind of neighborhood I grew up in, I remember at one point walking down the street and seeing a man stabbed to death five feet from me and covering my brother's eyes and freezing for a moment. I had that like freeze response and then just going home, didn't even tell my mom about it because it did not because I was hiding it. It didn't even occur to me. I mean, the level of trauma a kid would experience. Right. And you don't even like in us who know you now in your life now is this is so foreign like you it feels like someone else like a storybook character so I feel like I'm telling someone else's story sometimes because it really is a whole different life that I lived and sometimes when I'm telling it I reconnect to it in a fresh way and I'm like wow that was especially being a mom now I know you have two kids I mean I can't thinking of myself at my daughter's age the level of love the level of you know what love looks like right but yeah unfortunately your mom didn't know that didn't understand that so when this young man was saying I've got your back, I'll take care of you. In my context, that meant something to me that had real value. And I became very deeply attached to him and what I now know is a trauma bond. The relationship became physically and emotionally abusive. I stayed, I didn't think, Mm. I thought that's what relationships were like. It's all I ever saw modeled. And I really didn't think I deserved more anyway. So that led me into a seven year long abusive relationship. And at 19, um, that relationship led me into the sex industry as a stripper where I began working as a stripper and essentially he became my pimp and he started using me to recruit other women out of the clubs, but I didn't see him as an exploiter. I didn't see myself as a victim of exploitation. I saw him as my boyfriend and thought we had some drama. Which is a huge part of your story because I think so many women that I've talked to when I've been in red light districts and places, they just, they don't even see it. Like, they could be 15 years old and they don't see themselves as being exploited, right. which Absolutely. is the hugest part of the battle is that's the, you saw what your mom modeled. So right. it's normal. Right. And most victims don't self-identify. That's one of the reasons treasurers, we don't market ourselves as an anti-trafficking organization. We're not hey trafficking victims call us because most of the women that we serve wouldn't, that wouldn't resonate with them. Wow. So we, all of our, all of our marketing and all of our communication is really directed towards our client. And then sometimes general public doesn't realize, oh, this is anti-trafficking, but it has to look differently if you actually want to reach the people that you are called to reach. Yeah. And, um, and I also don't think a lot of people understand the connections between the commercial sex industry and trafficking. So anyway, so yeah, that was um, 
the situation I found myself in. And for me, the catalyst for change began with a friend, um, a girl I met who loved me unconditionally. She didn't mm. judge me at all. She, um, I, she invited me to church, but her friendship with me wasn't contingent on me going. And I saw an example of someone who had boundaries and self-respect. And I saw that wow. there was something in her life that I was missing. And now how did you meet her though? Because I mean, that's, a- I met her in a ballet class. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of a funny story. I don't, I can tell you it. You can cut it if you don't want it. Do you want to hear, you want to <laughs> no, hear it? Awesome. Okay. So it's yeah. really funny. It's a, it's totally a wild, like God is just so wild, but I was, I was scheduled to get breast implants oh, and wow. this woman in the club was like, don't do it. I had them done. I had them taken out. You're going to regret it. She said, she said that after she had them done, she went to a ballet class and she felt so dumb in a leotard and tights. And she's like, you're going to hate it. And I, canceled the appointment and I signed up for a ballet class <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> and that's where I met the girl wow. whose friendship changed my life <laughs> so that's it wild. was so wild like it was so random for me to even sign up for that class and really yeah. for me dance has always been a passion and um and I love that God used dance to lead me that's to him amazing and so you meet this girl I meet this girl and she's maybe just, just kind of a normal girl right who loves God yeah and she like was just so down to earth and um there was something about her where my guard was down and where I would usually lie about the circumstances in my life. I told her the truth about some things. I didn't tell her everything, but I tested the waters. And every time I gave her a little bit more information, she wasn't shocked. She didn't change the way she treated me. And that built trust for me. And eventually I thought, you know, maybe I didn't want to go to church. I thought if there is a God, he wouldn't want anything to do with someone like me. Hmm. And I don't know if I like him anyway. And, but eventually I just thought if what I'm missing is this whole God thing, maybe I'll go to church with her wow. at some point. And so it, after a long while, I went and I knew I was home. And um, my life did not change overnight, you know. Mm-hmm. And healing is a process. And one of the gifts that my friend gave me is time without pressure to engage in that process. So once I started going to church, and I wanted to be there every time the doors were open. Nice. I was still working in the strip club. I was still with a boyfriend. My life was my life. Nothing changed. But I changed my shift at the club so I could go to church <laughs> and then go to work, you know. And, you know, it's kind of funny when I look back, but um, my friend was never like, now that you're in church, you need to quit cussing, put on some clothes, break up with your boyfriend, get off the pole. She didn't do that to me. She didn't try to be the Holy Spirit. She allowed space for the Holy Spirit to do a work in my heart yeah. that ultimately led to change in my life. And It's interesting because we had some girls come to Expression for a while back when we first started. And they had all come out of, um, they were all in strip clubs. And mm. one of them had gotten a little bit further along in her journey. And so she brings the other one up to me and says, tell her, and I won't say her name, I'll just use the name Deborah. Tell Deborah that she has to stop stripping if she wants to follow Jesus. Mm. And Deborah goes, I have two kids and I have to pay the bills. Mm. And I'm not going to pay the bills by working at Starbucks. Yeah. And I looked at her friend and I said, as a pastor, if, she, if I tell her what to do, she's going to have to live and face with my word for her. But if she makes the decision because God's showing her, because yeah. she's reading the Bible and she's finding value in herself and saying, this isn't okay anymore, then yeah. she'll stand on that even if it gets hard financially. Right. And her friend's like, oh. Okay, so she, I said, do you want to pray and ask God what he wants you to do? And so she prays with me, and I said, what, what do you think God wants right now, based on what you know of him? Mm. And she goes, oh, and she said, I'm expletive. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't want me to do this anymore. And I started laughing, and I said, I'm so sorry. that, like, But at least you could stand on that. If I had told you, like, hey, it's yeah. right or wrong, it wouldn't, and, and if you had said no right now or yes right now, I'm not going to judge you. I'm just right. here to love you. And she stayed with us for two years, ended up moving back home where she had come from originally mm. and is living a completely normal life, married, has five kids now. 
But yeah. it started with like her friend. I watched how that religious pressure is yeah. to say, I'm going to define your faith right. and your journey for you. Yeah. And it never, it never equals an ownership that actually Absolutely. leads someone. So I love that your friend and that the people at your church gave you the freedom of expression, which I think is one of the, the we're so guilty of control. Yeah. Trying to control someone totally. else's process. So. Yeah. And her friendship is the model that we use for treasures. We meet women where wow. they're at and we don't should all over them. We don't yeah. say you should do this. You should do that. In fact, in 15 years, I've never once told a woman that she should leave the sex industry. Wow. And I don't have to. First of all, the research shows that 89% want to leave, but don't see any other options. Many of them are in wow. situations like you mentioned, single moms trying to make ends meet. I've known women who have worked in the sex industry to pay for chemotherapy. So many of them want to leave, but exactly like you said, if I'm the one who tells them they should do that, then it's going to be between me and them. And when it gets hard and it will get hard, they're going to be mad at me because they're going to say, Harmony said I should leave versus if it's a decision that they come to on their own and stand by. So that's, that was, that's so powerful. And I I love that you did that. (laughs) It was only Jesus because I'm not that smart. Yeah. That's great. I know. (laughs) So here you were with your friend, um, or it wasn't even about your friend at that point. Here you are going to church, Mm -hmm. your life's about to radically change. What was the catalyst? So I remember, you know, I, all these things I started hearing that I'm loved, that I'm valued, that I'm purposed. And that's the tagline for treasures. I started learning these things and they started to sink deeper into my heart. And I remember, for example, being in the club one night and I thought, oh my gosh, if I was created with a purpose, this can't be it. And if I looked around and realized that my environment did not reflect what I was put on this earth to do. And so it was from that kind of place of revelation that change began to happen. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was this huge leap of faith because I remember one night I was driving to the club and I was listening to Kirk Franklin's Silver and Gold, which is so (laughs) ironic because it's like, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. And here I am. And I'm mostly compelled by this abusive relationship, but also money, of course. Um, which is funny because I was giving it all away. But, um, and I was like, I really want to quit, but I don't see a way out. I'd never managed to save anything because my exploiter was taking all my money. Wow. And when I did try to hide money from him, he found out and I got in trouble and he took it all. And so I had nothing. And meanwhile, I had this crazy overhead, two apartments, two cars, you know. Um, and I walked into work that night and I remember um, feeling naked for mm. the first time. And I had never felt that before. And I really tried to shake it off because I was feeling so vulnerable. Because, you know, here I'm in this situation and realizing like no one even sees me. But at the same time, I feel so vulnerable and so exposed. It's wow. this weird thing. So um, I was just about to tap on this man's shoulder. He was, his back was to me. And the song Purple Rain came on. And I had auditioned to that song years before. And I just realized I had this revelation, like, here I am all these years later, and I'm still in the same position. My life is worse than Mm. when I started. And I took a step back, and I was just like, God, I can't quit. I can't do it. How can I possibly do it? I don't have anything, you know, no job, no safety net, nothing to put on my resume, you know, all this trauma, all this brokenness. What am I going to do? And I just felt like God was like, I'm going to take care of you. You can trust me. I won't let, I won't let you down. And I walked up to my manager and I was like, I'm going home. And he was like, Oh, do you need a night off? And I'm like, no, I'm leaving. And he was so shocked because first of all, I never saw anyone quit except for one woman who married a rich customer. So there was this mentality that no one leaves. There were women there that had been dancing for 20 years and 
So the idea that I was leaving and that I was leaving when I was one of the top earners in the clubs, it, it, no, he didn't understand. I didn't understand. Yeah. And, um, and I remember I, I ran to the dressing room cause I was going to leave and this woman stopped me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm leaving. I, I can't take it anymore. I'm, I'm quitting. She grabbed me by the shoulders and she's like, don't quit go home, get some rest, come back tomorrow. And for some reason, the way she said that to me just strengthened my resolve. And I'm like, I'm out. I sold the clothes out of my locker and I drove away and I never wow. went back until I went for outreach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was really just taking a leap of faith and trusting that God would take care of me and that he was with me and that he wasn't going to let me down. And he has been very faithful to that promise. Well, it's wild because when, you, when you're dealing with that kind of circumstance, you didn't have, like, you didn't have a backup plan. No. And so from the point where you quit to the point where you have to get out of this abusive relationship and abusive industry, mm-hmm. what was the, what was the God's escape route for you? What happened? Um, it was, I mean, it was a process, but I, it was one tie after the other. Um, so actually what's really funny. And again, this goes back to my friend, not judging me or putting her kind of requisite for what she thought was right on me. But I, I went to San Diego to this hip hop concert. This guy shared his testimony. He talked about being a drug addict on the streets and how God transformed his life. And he, he shared the scripture in John 15, five. And he said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, man can do nothing. And I recognized that I was the withered branch trying to live life on my wow. own and that I needed God. And this, I was still in the clubs. I was still with the boyfriend. I was in that place. And I remember that drive home saying, God, what, what do you, what do I do? How, how do I abide in you? What's my next step? And God put abstinence in my heart and you know, you can like, Oh, an abstinent stripper, like, right. Like you would think (laughs) like logically someone might think, why don't you work on getting out of the strip club first and then like, then get to that or whatever. But God knew that was the deeper root because that soul tie with the exploiter was what was keeping me trapped in all those situations. So once I made that decision and I did, and it was hard, um, and I severed that tie with him, then it, I, I had this level of freedom and yeah. this realizing like, and I broke the soul tie and realizing, oh, what he is expressing to me isn't love. It's not true love. And I don't need him to survive. And that was what I think really began the process of me being able to walk away from him and walk away from the industry because it was that relationship that was keeping me there. So that, you know, it's just funny because it's not what I would necessarily think that you would prescribe, but God knows, God knows what the deeper root issue was for me. So, Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So you kind of move forward and you share a lot of this in your book. I have your book right here, which is called Scars and Stilettos, which is amazing. And this is your second edition. Yes. I read your first edition. I haven't read the second edition. I need to read it. Yeah. But um, you share a lot of the story. But what's fascinating is you end up getting deeply involved in the church. Yeah. And you end up marrying somebody in the church who's yes. a leader, who's yes. a pastor there. Yeah. yeah. And that was actually a hard relationship as well. Yeah. I love I love the happy ending story now, but that was really hard. Take us kind of on that journey. Like take us into because you you hear from God really clearly, even from this beginning where God was showing you things and he and he's he's brought you so far into. Um, this, this life, I think it mm-hmm. works more in the prophetic. That's why I'm bringing it up mm-hmm. this way. You hear from God clearly mm-hmm. and you've been able to trust yourself and your ability to hear from God. Your life's dependent on it. Yeah. So you get involved in this church and what, what happens? Yeah. So, I mean, I really was like, oh, this is awesome. I found the perfect formula for the perfect life. If I like do the right things, make the right choices, you know, read the Bible, read the right books, you know, that I'm going to have this great life. Mm-hmm. And that was mostly true <laughs> for a while. 
And I married someone who, um, he was in ministry, he was in leadership. And, you know, I look back and I really do feel, I mean, there was nothing in me telling me not to marry yeah. him. So it's one of those mysteries. And Well, and people make choices too, right? right? So yeah. people can and I thank God completely for my daughter sabotage and, themselves. Right. And so... So you, you, got, know, you had a daughter from the marriage, yeah, which well, is amazing. When we started dating, he had never... He'd only drank, had alcohol one time and he was a virgin. And so the fact that he... Hit, during our marriage, he moved into this space of becoming an alcoholic and wow. then having affairs was really a surprise because there, to me, there wasn't any There's indication no of that. No. There was no pattern of that. But really what it came down to, and I mean, I don't want to get too much into his, but he had this unresolved grief and pain and had a history that was sort of similar to mine, but it was not dealt with, I don't think, as much yeah. and didn't have the tools and resources and turns to some you know, addictive and destructive behaviors. And so I found myself in this situation where you know, he was having multiple affairs and wasn't willing to do the work to restore the marriage. And I was devastated. We didn't fight. We had a great relationship for all intents and purposes. So it was really shocking to yeah. me. Um, and so that was really, really hard. Um, I felt like I got hit by a train. I, here I was, I was, you know, in ministry, running treasures, you know, doing my best to live the best life I could. And yeah. then that happened. And it was devastating and I remember from the beginning God told me I will restore family to you and I believed it it was hard sometimes I thought well maybe he just means that he's gonna give me such a great community of friends that I'll feel like I'm planted in family but he just kept telling me that and then I I went on a recovery process and realized that you know um, I obviously it's not my fault that my ex-husband cheated on me at all those are his choices but I also started to look at what drew me to him in the first place what were the dynamics in our marriage and realized that I had um a problem with codependency Mm. that I had a problem with you know not being in touch with my wants needs and feelings and really taking responsibility for the wants needs and feelings of other people and this is something that started being the daughter of a cocaine addict yeah you know and so this was a pattern of relating to people that was affecting actually every area of my life and it certainly affected my marriage so Again, while it's not my fault he cheated, I did find I did use this as a catalyst to um, move into a deeper place of health and healing for myself and address the codependency that I saw that was an issue in our marriage. Um, and yeah, because your picker gets kind of broken if you yeah, don't address those things. Right. You start to go, you just fall back into those patterns over and over. You know, like right. my, I come from a very codependent family life, mm. and uh, so I mean I, I understand enabling and codependency really yeah. well. I had to like I had to get tools in me in my young twenties so I didn't repeat that pattern. My parents are amazing; like right. I talk about them all the time, but they both came from dysfunction where mm. they had to escape. They had to come out of like really really abusive mostly mentally abusive and emotionally abusive mm. um, situations. And so they, they had, to, and it's really interesting when you, when you're the child of that or you're a next generation where they had some, my parents had overcome to some degree. Mm-hmm. And I would find myself with insecurity and rejection issues when I had no rejection and insecurity, but mm. like causers. Mm. So I'm like the next generation after my parents went through some healing and I'm finding myself with some of these things and I had to get, get some like good old fashioned therapy to go, right. what is this? Yeah, Like why am I leaning into people who are, not healthy for me and why am I getting these relationships where sometimes it was abusive leaders in the church mm. and I remember at one point this one one therapist said that this man that you're talking to me about this like leader in your life is actually controlling mm. he has a control spirit and mm. I looked at him like how dare you right. I was like trying to protect him like mm. how dare you yeah. and it's really interesting when you get those tools because I mean now my stories I've like ended up you know aligning with Bethel and Bill and Benny Johnson are like spiritual parents to me they're like the least 
uh, the, the most mm. healthy people I know, the mm. least codependent type right. attracting people I would know. But I realized like I had like three leaders in a row that I did have some, some of the issues that would compel that me same pattern. to, yeah, the same pattern, even in the church. Right. And so you're dealing with it in, you know, in, in these male relationships that are more of your life relationships. I'm dealing with it in my spiritual relationships. Mm. It's amazing if you don't get the tools, what will happen? You'll just keep recreating it in different scenarios. Right. Maybe it's more high tech. Maybe yeah. it's more safe. Right. But it's never really safe. Right. So I love that part of your story because you really share vulnerably as far as in that mar- you don't have to share about that marriage, mm-hmm. but you do. And I've heard you share it publicly. I've heard you yeah. share you're sharing yeah. it here because of what happened and how you changed and evolved with your relationship with God through it. And actually said, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and God has, you know, again, been faithful to his promise to restore family. And I remember at one point, you know, I was. I was in in the middle of the divorce, so the divorce had just happened. I lost my home. I was on Mm. the brink of bankruptcy. You know, my whole life was upside down. And I remember just really being in this moment where I cried out to God. And I was like, this is not how I thought it would turn out. And I was so angry and I was so grieved. And he let me just process that anger and that grief for a while. And then I heard him say, Harmony, I rescued you. And I was like, what about this situation is rescue? I just lost my house. I'm a single mom. I've been through divorce. I yeah. can barely afford formula and diapers, you know. And you're running a ministry. And so I'm you're running not a like, ministry. You're not, even though you have a master's degree, you're running a ministry, not a Fortune yeah. 500 company. I don't have the luxury yeah. of like not getting out of bed in the morning, you know, like yeah. I'm just, and so he was like, I rescued you from your version of the dream and I will redeem the dream. And he was faithful to that promise to restore family and to redeem that dream. And, um, I'm married today to an incredible man who's a dad to my daughter. And now we have a son together as well. And it's, it's beautiful. The God, when he restores, he does it so completely. Yeah. You know, it's not instant. It's a process, but he restores so completely and he's still restoring and he's still redeeming. Like yeah. in last October, we bought a home together. Yes. Yeah. And you know, I have, if I, I have to be honest and say, I was really dealing with some anxiety about that because the last time I bought mm-hmm. a home, it all fell apart. And that was the, it in my mind. I, I remember back, that was one of the first steps, you know, in the beginning of the end. And so, mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not in that situation anymore. God is restoring. God is redeeming. And and he totally is. And he does it so thoroughly. Wow. And home probably means so much more to you, too, from where you came it from. It does. Home, for me, was yeah. like security, stability, which I really have to be careful with. Because at the end of the day, I have to remind myself, as much as I love this home, it's not mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know my security is in Jesus period. Yeah. It's not in the home that I have or the neighborhood I live in or the marriage that I have. My security is in Jesus. And so I, I have to go back to that because really what I learned in that process, it's the only firm and secure place for my, my faith and my hope is in him. Wow. Wow. And luckily those other added bonuses of marriage and kids are the proving ground of that, which is beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So, so you started treasures. We didn't really go there. Yes. You started treasures, um, a while ago and tell us like how that formed, because a lot of people, obviously, who leave this industry don't want to be known by it anymore. They don't want to tell their mm-hmm. story. If they do, it's more like just to help other people, more like situationally versus right. mass. Right. And you were willing to like say, here's my story. Yeah. And I want to help a lot of people out of this. So where did that come from? Yeah. So, I mean, I from the beginning, I felt like God put it in my heart that I was going to be accountable for the decisions that I made along the way. And like I was literally going to have to give an account for my process. Mm. So I was really cognizant of that. 
the whole time. And then one day I found myself sitting across the street from the club where I used to work. Wow. And I knew, I felt like I was sitting outside of a prison that I had, I had been in Yeah. and I knew I had to do something and, but I didn't know what. And I thought the idea of like walking up to the club would be crazy. And it is. Um, and I had this small stack of postcards in my car and on the front, it said her value is far above rubies and pearls from mm. Proverbs. And I thought that's what I want to say to the women. And so I wrote little handwritten notes on the cards and brought them to the club and was surprised by how receptive the security was and really thought, what if I did this more often? What if I went to other clubs? What if volunteers would join me? And wow. it was from that moment that the vision was really birthed. And um, yeah, and so then it was just a process of one foot in front of the other, really, yeah. and being faithful with what's in my hand. I didn't even know what a 501c3 was when I started. <laughs> um, so yeah, so today we have three areas of focus, outreach, care, and training. We do outreach into strip clubs to the porn industry through HIV testing sites. Um, we work wow. with youth in juvenile detention centers and through Department of Probations, um, many of whom have been trafficked. And then we also do um, outreach in online forums where women and girls are exploited. Wow. And then our care, we have support groups, mentoring, and just really provide a sense of community for the women and support to help them um, break free and break through what they're yeah. walking through and come alongside them, love them where they're at, give them the gifts that my friend gave me yeah. of just unconditional love and care. And then the third area of focus is training. And we train other people to replicate this model of outreach in their cities and have trained um, 120 outreaches wow. on six continents. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. It's so awesome. But the way that started was really responding to need. I remember um, my story was featured in Glamour Magazine and it – it, our res the response we received, our phone lines crashed, our website crashed, sure. our email crashed. Women from all over the world looking for help, and there weren't really uh, there weren't services. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just I mean, of course, was overwhelmed with this influx of need. But then the other thing is, we had people saying, "I want to do something. I want to help. How can I help?" And so I started putting those two things together. Like yeah. these people want to help, but they need training. In one of the situations, a woman contacted us from a really small town. There weren't any resources in her area. And I encouraged her to go to the local church and find the kind of support wow. and community that I found. Um, and my experience with local church was amazing. And so she did. And she went and asked for prayer. And it happened to be the pastor's wife. And the pastor's wife said, and she told her the situation she was in, that she had been trafficked. She was still working in prostitution. She was a single mom. She didn't know how else to make ends meet. She felt stuck. She wanted out. And the pastor's wife said, I really wish you weren't telling me this right now. You're making me very uncomfortable. Oh. And the girl was really, you know, discouraged. You only have one shot for that. Yeah. Like, they're not going to be vulnerable again. Oh, but wait till you hear what this girl does. I mean, she's amazing. So she, you know, tells me what happened. I'm like heartbroken. She wakes up the next morning, her car is vandalized. It says so-and-so, her name is a so-and-so. Oh my gosh. And she is at this point still giving the church the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's not connected, maybe it just happened to be a coincidence. She goes to the church again the next week. I don't know many people who would do that. Like yeah. she gave them a second chance. When she goes to check her kid in to kids ministry, they say, you and your child aren't welcome here. And they turned her away. Wow. And so for me, I was devastated and angry. And then also was like, if that church had any idea what that woman was going through, um, yeah. they couldn't treat her that way. And so yeah. for me, it became really important to begin to train and educate people on the realities of women in the sex industry mm -hmm. and victims of trafficking. And so that's kind of where our training was birthed out of. I know. It's like... 
what is it, the 1500s called and they want their scarlet letters back? <laughs> I was like, what is that? Like, what? In I mean, what the are world? you doing? I don't understand. Right? But I do think it's, I, I was a good Christian church kid. I remember going out when I was 15 and 16 and we were going to like J and K Street in Sacramento ministering to people who were prostitutes. And two of the girls I run into were, and my parents didn't know we were sneaking out on mm-hmm. Friday and Saturday night. Like, my friends were sneaking out to go to parties. We're sneaking out to go and minister to prostitutes and bring them food and stuff. And we were just buying water bottles and food and just mm-hmm. be like, you guys, what what can we do for you? We just for like probably over a year and a half, we did it like 20 times or wow. something. And I remember one time towards the end of it, I saw two friends from high school who had dropped out and I, I couldn't find them. They were in our choir program, musical theater program. And I was like, oh my gosh. And for, again, the sake of their names, just not put it blasted out there. I'll just say um, Donna and Debbie. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm using Debbie again. Debbie Isn't that great? Again. It's my name. Okay. And, uh, and, and I was like, oh my gosh. I've been looking for you. And I didn't know that they had met on the streets. They were working together on the streets. And there was like a really small red light district at the time. And it was just like one street long. And there was usually 12 to 20 girls out there. Mm -hmm. But they were kind of in shifts. And we saw them. And it's like one in the morning. And we Mm -hmm. shouldn't be out there. Like our Mm -hmm. parents, we got Mm -hmm. in trouble when our parents found out. I think I was 16 or maybe 17. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So, and I'm like, Oh my gosh! And we hug, and I'm kissing him on the cheek, and we're and I look back at my like youth friends that snuck out with me, and they're horrified that I'm like friends with the prostitutes. Wow! In their minds, it was like it's okay because it's us and them, but all of a right. sudden they're like I'm hugging them. They're my sisters who I missed, yeah. like with all my heart. I was like, you guys, do you, I don't want to take you away from your work. This is exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say. I was like, right. I don't want to take you away from your work, but can I take you to the diner right there? Can we eat? Do you guys have time to eat mm-hmm. right now? They're like, yeah, we'd love to. We mm-hmm. you know we've been working all night. We'd, we'd love to because it's start early. And I was like, what's going on? How are you guys? Like, mm-hmm. what's, and uh, I didn't realize that my five or six friends that were there, because we we're in a huge booth, they're watching uh, old friends catch up. We weren't talking about any of the issues. We we're talking about right. old friends catch up. And then I was like, okay, guys, this is me. We've had some deep talks in our lives. What's going on? Like, are you, are you okay out here? Like, tell me for real. Like, what's mm-hmm. going on? And they pour out their stories. And it's mm-hmm. very similar to the story you told. Mm-hmm. Very similar, like, backgrounds. And I would have known it in high school. We're just right. a lot of, we had a lot of underprivileged kids in high school that were yeah. being busted and they were some of them and I had no idea. Like we right. just had no idea. So I say all this to say I learned a very important lesson where I was with my friends. It would have been us and them up until that point. And at that point I went, these are my sisters. These mm-hmm. are my friends. These yeah. are these are people that I would highly value if I knew who they were in their inside. Yeah. But I didn't have that before that. We were just doing it out of compassion, but it was almost like a religious compassion that totally. had some guilt in it. And then after that, it was like all of us changed. We were like, these are our people. Right. This is our tribe. Right. This is for real. Like it, it compelled me from that point on to where I've been to red light districts all around the world and loved on men and women both who are mm-hmm. in the, the Johns, that right. men who are prostituting, women who are prostituting. And it's one of those things where, and I'm not trained, I should go through your training, but um, but it's one of those things where I feel like I, I it, God broke down the us and them. Right. And I feel like when we're exploring hearing God's voice, one of the things that happens when you hear God's voice is you become something other than you were. You start to see what he sees and hear what he hears mm-hmm. and feel what he feels for people that you have no context for. Right. And if you could take me, a, a super Christian kid, outside right. of my zone and say, love these people. These right. are your friends. Like these right. are people that you would deeply love who'd be deeply loyal to you if you would mm-hmm. just give them a chance. Yeah. It's huge. And they can smell it when we come in, us and them, yep. if we do that. Yeah, and it's amazing how much people's guard comes down when they realize that you're not approaching from that place that, you know, my team were very clear on. Like, first of all, there are many women in our organization that are survivors and have been in those situations, which is incredible. But even if women haven't, like, at the end of the day, we all know what it 
feels like to be broken and to yeah. need Jesus. And so, you know, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and we come in with humility. Wow. And, you know, for those that haven't been in those situations, most recognize that they were probably a choice or two away maybe at some points, you know, yeah. or a bad circumstance or two away and that, you know, we're just, they're our sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so proud of what you're doing. Mm. Tell people how they can get involved with treasures and how I know that a lot of people would never see themselves going through uh, a training program until they hear a story like yours. And they're like, wait, I'm interested. So how can they get involved? Yeah. So I am a treasure.com is our website. And on the get involved page, they can find out information on all kinds of different ways to participate and get involved and be a part. One of them being getting trained. Um, and just even coming to training to explore whether or not this is something that you would want to do in your city. And it doesn't have to be this huge, like I'm on the streets every, you know, night of the week. You can choose to do an outreach where you just go on Christmas and Valentine's and some special holidays and build some relationships with the clubs and in your city. But we, we really want to equip people so that they're doing it well and they're doing it effectively. Love that. Um, and just sharing what we've learned. Awesome. So I am a treasure.com. Yeah. And get Harmony's book, Scars and Stilettos. This is an amazing book that tells the fullness of your story because you left out so many details. Obviously, yeah. we're on a shorter show. Yeah. But I just love what you're doing. I love how you represent Jesus so well. And I love yeah. how you hear God and how it's led to so many people's freedom and love. Mm-hmm. Just people being loved who would never be even seen mm-hmm. by the church. We have to go there. They they can't. We can't expect them to They're come not to us. Come That's to so us. beautiful. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic Family. This is Sean Bowles. And I don't know if you know this, but Bowles Ministries, our ministry, puts together these podcasts for you every week. If you're listening in your car or your gym or at home while you're making your kids lunch for school, wherever you're listening to this, we have done our best to put together a quality podcast to explore the subject of hearing God's voice with you. And we want to continue to do this, and we need your partnership. I want to encourage you, if you're loving the show, if you're connected to the show, there's three ways you can partner. Number one is we would love your prayer support. Pray for us. This is not an easy thing to do week after week after week. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of coordination. And it also takes a lot of spiritual presence, just being present with what God's doing. Number two, financially support us. We would love your financial support and partnership. We have an incredible partnership program where you can engage with a community of people who are partnering with Bulls Ministries to send the message of hearing God's voice around the world. We do events. We do, of course, this podcast. We do all kinds of things that are free things where we give videos online. We do uh, webinars. We do all kinds of things to encourage people to hear God's voice and to activate their gifts, to activate them in the faith it takes to go on this incredible journey. So financially support us by going to bowlsministries.com. And the third way you can help us is to subscribe and also leave a review under the podcast and share it with your friends. Share it on your social media platform. Tell your friends about it at work. Tell your friends about it at church. And the more you help us, the word of mouth is the most powerful source of engaging the community of people who are hungry for this kind of a subject. So be part of our, our ministry team, our prayer ministry team, our partnership team, but also be a voice for what you're listening to. If you love it, tell the stories of the people who are telling the stories to you. Thank you so much for listening. Come on the journey with us and please enjoy season two.